Again to Jeremiah chapter 8, if you would please, Jeremiah chapter 8. And uh, this is something that has been on my mind and heart this week. Wednesday night, we looked at a, a short theme, be sober. And we traced that little thought through Peter's first letter. One Peter was found three times in the first chapter, the fourth and the fifth. Those two words, be sober, be awake, be alert. And throughout the week, the burden is not lifted in regards to this thought. And while speaking with a dear brother this week, this passage was brought to mind and heart and confirmed later throughout the week as well. So let's do our best to follow him in this chapter. Jeremiah chapter 8. Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet. A prophet with a great burden. And we could do, we could do with people of a greater burden. We could do with God's people being a little more burdened. Burdened for the condition of the church, the state of Christianity. Burdened for the lost, as we've just sung a moment ago. We could do with that burden. Speaking with another brother last night of how very often instead of getting down to the business of preaching God's word. Oftentimes ministers get caught up in political debates and battles, which are a waste of time. And the prophet speaking on behalf of God, thus saith the Lord. By the way, that is the responsibility of every man of God, every preacher, to stand and say, thus saith the Lord, not thus saith the popular opinion. Thus saith the Lord. And Jeremiah speaking under the inspiration of God's spirit, he says in verse number three, why then is this people of Jerusalem slidden back by a perpetual backsliding? Why this perpetual backsliding? You ever wondered that? I don't know about you, but sometimes I look around the condition of Christianity in the West. I think it's very different from where it is in the rest of the world. But I look around at the condition of the church of Christianity and I feel, even in my own life sometimes, looking in the mirror, I sometimes feel, why this perpetual backsliding? You ever felt that way? Why are we prone to wander so much? And why are we constantly going backwards rather than forwards. And we sometimes, sometimes the Lord shakes us and we seem to be uh, aroused for a little while, but it's only ever short-lived. We find ourselves drifting right back into that state of slumber and sleepiness. Have you noticed that? Even over the last year, there have been several moments and seasons where God's people have been shaken only to fall right back to sleep. If you have children and you've ever tried to wake those children sooner than they wanted to be awakened, then you know what I'm talking about. Shake them. And they may begin to open their eyes a little bit, but if you stop shaking, if you leave them, uh, very soon, in a matter of seconds, they'll be back into a deep slumber. My mic is pretty good at that. You can shake him and he may lift one eye and then another eye. 
But if I stop shaking, then he very quickly is asleep again. And so I believe there's a part of ministry that belongs to God's men that is a shaking, that requires a constant shaking. And there's much more. There's a comforting that is involved in a feeding that a minister, a under-shepherd must undertake. But he should also always have one hand free to shake. One hand to feed and perhaps feed and then to pet and comfort, but another hand to shake. This morning, by God's grace, I want to do a little shaking. I want to stir you a little bit. And in so doing, I hope that I myself might be stirred. Why this perpetual backsliding? The word tells us why. The prophet tells us why. God himself tells us this morning why you and I and the church as an overall body, why there is a continuous perpetual backsliding. Why? Why are we so prone? We sing it, uh, come thou fount of every blessing. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Why? Here's the first reason. Verse number five, why then is this people of Jerusalem slidden back by a perpetual backsliding? They hold fast deceit. And I tell you, you and I will always be prone. We will always be returning to a state of slumber as long as we continue to hold so tightly to a pack of lies. You will always be prone to backsliding as long as you hold fast to anything other than truth. And can I just gently shake a little bit? We are living in a generation that would rather not hear truth. We are living in a generation that would rather hear what tickles the ear and tickles the fancy. And therefore, instead of holding fast to truth, we're holding fast to deceit. Now, there are many things in God's word that we're told to hold fast to. Let me share a few of them with you this morning. In Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 13, Solomon writes, Take fast hold of instruction. Let her not go. Keep her, for she is thy life. If you are given a set of instructions... If you don't hold on to those instructions and follow them carefully, you will be very soon tempted and naturally led to go your own way rather than the way of the instructions that have been given from God. I'm that way. Every once in a while, that bit of manhood inside of me says, I don't need instructions if I'm building something or putting something together. And it usually doesn't end well. You ever been there before? Because there's something inside of man that naturally wants to figure it out himself. But God says you can't figure it out yourself, so he's given you instructions. So Solomon in wisdom says, take fast hold of instructions. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, the apostle Paul writes to the church at Thessalonica. And verse number 21, despise not prophesyings. Verse 20, prove all things. Hold fast that which is good. Can I ask you this morning, are you holding on to that which is good? 
Or is what you are holding on in your life from day to day, is it worth holding on to? Is it worth Christ dying for? Hold fast to that which is good. In the next book, in 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 15, uh, Paul writes, Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which ye have been taught, whether by word or or by our epistle. Now, there are some traditions we need to let go of. But there are some traditions passed down through God's word and through the history of God's bride, the church, that are need to be held on to. A history of reverence when we approach the word of God. The history of believing that this book is infallible and inerrant. There are some traditions that we must not let go of. We are living in a day of abandoning everything uh, for the sake of finding something new. There are some things that need to be held on to. And to Timothy chapter 1, Paul writes uh, to young Timothy in verse number 13. Listen to what he tells Timothy to hold on to. Hold fast that form of sound words which thou hast heard of me in faith and love which is in Christ. Meaning every time you hear good preaching and teaching, every time you read or hear something, hold on to it. Especially in a day and age when there's such a drought of good teaching and preaching, hold on to it. Hebrews, twice we find in this beautiful book of Hebrews that we're to hold fast. In chapter 3, look at it with me or listen carefully. Chapter 3 and verse number 6, listen to what the author writes. But Christ as a son over his own house, whose house are we if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end. Hold on to confidence and the rejoicing of the hope, the prospect of eternity. Some of our dear friends here today have lost a loved one recently. Don't you lose hope and expectancy and confidence that this world is not all that there is. Hold fast that there is more, there's something better to come. If you lose that, look here, if you lose that, you will very quickly go the way of the world, which is a way of self-preservation of preserving this life. In the next chapter, Hebrews 4, verse 14, you know the verse, seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. Can I ask you this morning, look here, are you a professing child of God? Are you one who professes to be a born-again Christian? If so, the author says you hold on to that profession meaning you live what you speak, your profession is more than your mouth, it's your life, and hold on to it. Don't you lose it. But the trouble is, these people were holding on to everything except that which was good. They weren't holding fast that which is good. They had let go of all that really mattered in order to hold fast to something that merely appeared to matter. They hold fast deceit. They're holding on to a lie. I believe there are many people in the world today holding on to a lie. What are you holding on to? What are you holding fast? By the way, if, if you think more and speak more about a virus and a vaccine than you do about your Savior, then you're holding fast to deceit. If the history of your internet searching is filled more with football or virus or whatever else you want to put there, if it's filled with that rather than faith, you are holding on to something that is deceitful. 
the natural man so naturally, you could say, would rather hold on to these things rather than the things that are needful. What are you holding on to this morning? So many today are holding on to sin. I wonder this morning if there's a particular sin that you're holding on to. And perhaps you confess it daily. But yet tomorrow, every time you confess it, you recognize, you really in the back of your mind know that probably tomorrow or even today, later on today, you'll be doing that same thing again. And even in your confession of that sin, you know that although you are sorry for it, you know you probably are going to be doing it again very soon because instead of holding fast that which is good, you're holding fast to sin. Sometimes Christians in this 21st century hold fast to comfort more than they do the things of God. We are more concerned about living a comfortable life than we are about living a Christian life. And comfort is a great deceit. As we've seen, comfort can be swept up from underneath of you in a matter of seconds. Some dear people here in the last month have been given bad news concerning their health. And in a matter of moments, comfort has been taken. Prosperity is deceitful, isn't it? Jesus warned us about the deceitfulness of riches, but some people are holding fast to prosperity. Can I just tell you this morning, let me give you a little advice, let go. Because you cannot hold fast to that which is right as long as you're holding fast to that which is wrong. As long as your hands are fooled with deceit, you cannot hold fast to that which is true. Beauty is a great deception. Sorry, friends. Sorry if your whole life you're trying your best to look a little bit prettier, look a little bit handsomer. If your whole life is revolved around your outward appearance, that is a great deception. Because very soon your hair falls out and a little bit of weight falls from your shoulders to your side and things begin to happen that you never dreamed would happen because beauty is deceitful. Let me tell you something else that's deceitful. Liberty. We're living in a world where people are grasping for liberty, fighting, and I'm, I believe we should. But it's very deceitful. We know that. We hear about it all the time. Promised certain things and then pulled back a little bit more. It's very deceitful. Everything that the world offers you is offered out of deceit. Everything. But everything that Christ offers you, everything in Christ is yea and amen, is true. It will not be broken. His word cannot be broken. There's the first reason they were constantly backsliding. They were holding on to deceit. Look at the second one. They refused to return. Now, there's a key doctrine of Christianity that has gone very quiet lately. Do you know what that is? The doctrine of repentance. It is a key doctrine of our faith. And these people were constantly backsliding because they refused to turn. They refused to return. Return to God. Return to their Savior. Return to the old ways, the old paths. And because they refused to return away from their sins and under their glorious God, because of that, they were living in a constant state of backsliding. And look here, some of you this morning, let me shake you. Some of you this morning, the reason you can't get over this sin or this habit or this problem is because you won't turn away from it. Is that you? 
Are you refusing to return? I read that psalm this morning, uh, a very famous song, in fact, a revival psalm at the beginning of the meeting. Now, I say it's a revival psalm because Psalm chapter 85, it was used of God, especially during the Scottish Reformation. It was used mightily of God. And there was a recognition in verse number four, turn us, O God, of our salvation. And the psalmist says, look, I'm trying to turn, but I can't do it. You ever felt like that? I don't want to live like this anymore. I don't want to be stuck like this anymore, but I don't know how to turn. And so the psalmist says, turn us, O God. Have you ever been brought to that place? There's got to be a willingness in your heart to return. And then you'll cry, turn us, O God. I wonder this morning if you know what is right, but yet you still choose wrong. I wonder if you sit down at night and you know what is right, but yet you still choose to do that which is wrong. Refuse to return. And then verse number six, the prophet writes, I hearkened, speaking on behalf of God. Listen to this. I hearkened and heard, but they spake not aright. Now get this image. Jeremiah is speaking on behalf of God. And God says, I've hearkened and heard. God has put his ear to this earth to listen to what we're talking about. Let that sink in. God is listening to your frivolous conversations. He's listening. He hearkened and heard, but they spake not aright. God was listening. Silence in the areas that matter and roaring in the areas that don't matter. Look what it says. I hearkened and heard, but no man spake aright. No man repented him of his wickedness, saying, what have I done? No man was brought to the, to the place where they said, okay, God, what have we done wrong? No man humbled himself to say, the problem really, the problem's not out there, but perhaps the problem's right here. Nobody did that. Instead, they were talking about nonsense. They were talking about what they shouldn't have been talking about, and they weren't talking about what they should have talked about. I think that sums us up today, doesn't it? No man repented him of his wickedness. No acknowledgement of sin, no confession of their sin, totally oblivious to their condition, no desire to know what he's done wrong. And not just that, but it's a, a determination to continue. Look what it says. Everyone turned to his own course as the horse rusheth into battle. Can I tell you what's wrong with us today? We are so self-willed, self-determined, that we don't really care that's a harsh thing to say, but it's true. We don't really care. We've already got our mind up about what we're going to do and where we're going to go. And I don't care what anybody else says. I'll put my fingers in my ear. I don't want to hear it because I've already made up my mind. Why do so many professing believers live in such a constant state of backsliding? Because they are determined to go on living as they've always been living. Everyone turned to his course as a horse rusheth to into the battle. Do you know what I've heard? I've, I've taken many funerals, preached many funerals. And on more than one occasion, people have played Frank Sinatra's song, I Did It My Way, at a funeral. Can I just make a request? Don't you dare play that at my funeral. I want to do it God's way. And I hope you do. But so many today are saying, ah, I'm going to do it my way. I don't care what you say. 
I don't care what anybody else says. I'm going to do it my way. What about you? The Bible says in verse 7, the stork in the heaven knoweth her appointed times and the turtle and the crane and the swallow observe the time of their coming. But my people know not the judgment of the Lord. Now look here for a moment. One of the greatest indictments of this generation of Christianity is that we do not know the judgment of God. We don't know it. And animals, animals by natural instinct know the changing of seasons and therefore they pick up their homes and they move shop because they feel a change in the temperature. Think about that. But you and I, as God's children, who have God's word and can hear him speaking to us, you and I cannot see or feel the change in the temperature spiritually around us. We're so fleshly and carnal most of the time, even so soulish, and we lack so much spirituality. We very rarely view things through spiritual eyes. And when one does finally sense that something isn't quite right, when somebody begins to say, hold on a moment now, hold on, something doesn't look right here, something doesn't feel right here, when we begin to think like that, the majority say, you're an enthusiast. Zip it. Just go along with the flow. You're disturbing us. But my people know not the judgment of the Lord. Can you not see the judgment of the Lord? Can you not see the judgment of God? I'll mention something briefly. I'm not going to speak much about it. But the health secretary of this nation has stepped down. Why? Well, he was caught on CCTV camera kissing another man's wife. And do you know what the problem is? Do you know why he stepped down? Because he broke COVID regulations. Social distancing. Not one word about infidelity. Not one word about being unfaithful to his wife. Not one word about stealing another man's wife. But he wasn't socially distanced. Now we laugh, but we ought to weep. This is the condition of this nation. My people know not the judgment of the Lord. And these are the people we say, they they really care about us and we're following them through, get us through all this mess. They don't care one bit about your soul or about what's right. So stop following man and begin following God. Verse number eight, how do ye say we are wise and the law of the Lord is with us? Rubbish. That's what Jeremiah said. Stop saying that we are very wise and God is with us. You know, we've got it all figured out. How could you say that? Lo, certainly in vain made he it. Here's what the prophet said. Listen to what the prophet said. God wrote this in vain. Look here. The prophet said, why did God even write this? Because you're not even listening. That's what the prophet says. Why would you even carry this? And why would you have so many uh, copies of this on your shelf at home, but you don't read it or heed it? He wrote it for nothing. The pen of the scribes is in vain. The wise men are ashamed. They are dismayed and taken low. They've rejected the word of the Lord. And what wisdom is in them? None. That's what wisdom's in them. 
There isn't any. The ones who should be wise have no wisdom. Therefore, will I give their wives unto others and their fields to them that shall inherit them for everyone from the least even unto the greatest is given to covetousness from the prophet even unto the priest, everyone that dealeth falsely. And the corruption goes from the spiritual places where men should be leading correctly right the way through. And we see it in our nation. But nobody recognizes the judgment of God. We're too distracted by a bug. Nobody sees the judgment of God. We'd rather talk about a bug. Therefore, he says. In verse number 11, look what he says. They have healed the hurt of the daughter of my people slightly. Would you look here for a moment? Look here. One of the greatest sins against humanity and against the church is that God's men have healed the hurt of God's people slightly. They put a band-aid over it. Instead of saying, repent of your sins and get right with God, instead of saying, look, your religious ways and your traditional ways that are only a form of godliness, but denying the power they are uh, thereof, are rubbish and they stink in the nose of God. Instead of saying that, we say, it's okay. This is going to pass very soon. It's going to be all right. And we'll put a band-aid over it. And they've healed the hurt of the daughter of my people slightly, saying, peace, peace, it's okay. This is Soon this will all be over. When there is no peace. Can I tell you, there's only one place to find peace. That's in Christ. Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace. The one who came and preached peace. The one who came to you when you could not come to him. There's where peace is found. Not in a vaccine, not in a government, but in Jesus Christ. So stop looking everywhere else and begin looking to him. He is our peace. If I tell you or any other man tells you that peace can be found in any other way, do not listen to them. They are a heretic and a liar. Jesus, 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 sweetest name I know. That's what we should be singing all day long. Instead of virus, 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 where do we go? <laughs> Jesus is the answer. They've healed the hurt of the daughter of my people slightly saying peace, peace, when there is no peace. Were they ashamed when they had committed abomination? Nay, God calls that an abomination. No, they were not at all ashamed, neither could they blush. They thought they were, I'm not ashamed at all. We've done the right thing. They couldn't even blush. Therefore shall they fall among them that fall. In the time of their visitation, they shall be cast down, saith the Lord. And so you might say, in conclusion, what's the answer? Oh, I see it. And you see it. And sometimes we try to cover it up with a rug or try to explain it away. But let's rip it all away. Take the mask away and look. Straight in the mirror and look straight at the problem. How do we deal with it then? Well, you go back to the first problem, holding fast deceit. Let go of deceit and begin to hold fast the truth of God's word. Jesus himself gives us the answer in the book of Revelation. He speaks to the churches. That first church, the church at Ephesus, who've left their first love. They didn't lose it. They left it. Look here. Some of you this morning have left your first love. You didn't lose it. You know right where it is. It's in Christ. 
And so the word that Jesus gives is remember therefore from whence thou art fallen and repent and do the first works. Get back to where you need to be. Get back. I don't know where you are spiritually this morning. Maybe you're half asleep. Maybe you're fully asleep and you can't even hear a word that I say. Maybe you'll walk out of this place thinking, I don't know what he was raving about, raging about up there. I don't know what was his problem this morning. Maybe you'll walk out like that thinking, I don't have a clue. And if, if you do, I'm sorry, but you're sleeping. Maybe you're half asleep and you, you're like Micah with one eye open in the morning. And uh, then let God's spirit continue to shake you until you're fully awake. Until you're thinking spiritually about the day in which we live. Most of us are thinking purely materially, materialistically, physically, without spiritual thinking. Do you know all through the history of the church, by the way, we have a rich heritage. We have a rich heritage. It goes back the ref- let's, from the Reformation alone, 500 years, a rich heritage. But even back beyond that, a, an intensely rich Christian heritage of people who held fast to truth, who stood up against wrong. A rich heritage. And most of us are prepared to let that heritage die with us. The last verse of the chapter says, Is there no balm in Gilead? Meaning, is there nothing to heal? Because these prophets were healing the hurt of the daughter of the people slightly. These priests were. And so the prophet says, Is there nothing proper to heal with? Are we, are we just going to have to be confined to using band-aids? Is that, is that what we need? Is that what we want? Is there nothing else but band-aids to use? Is there nothing else, nothing else but a bit of, uh, a, a bit of Advil or whatever else we use today? A few tablets, paracetamol. Is there nothing else to do but to numb the pain? Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there nothing that we can have that we can put on the wounds and the hurts that belong to God's people? There is a balm in Gilead, and his name is Jesus. That's where all of our answers can be traced. You, say, oh, you keep saying that, but that is where the answer is. Is there no physician there? Can I tell you who the great physician is? Jesus Christ. We have a great physician. And he came to heal the brokenhearted. So run to him. Run to Christ. Why then is not the health of the daughter of my people recovered? Because they refuse to return. Can I ask you, are you refusing this morning to return? If so, perhaps this is the Lord giving you one more chance, one more little shake. Okay. Maybe this morning God's giving you one last little shake. Will you listen? Or will you continue like the horse going to battle? Wake up. Wake up. Let's pray. Father, I'm thankful that thy prophet spoke so clearly. We are able to look at his words and apply them even to our current day and situation. And we pray that we might be those who wake up, who look beyond that which is external only and look to the real disease that we're facing, the disease of rebellion, waywardness, backsliding. May we run to the great physician for our help, Jesus Christ himself, the healer of my soul. 
And I pray that this morning there might be a turning back to him. Help us, we pray. For we ask it in Christ Jesus' name and for his sake.